So what do you do? It should be the easiest question in the world to answer because surely no one knows you and your work better than you. But it's amazing how difficult it is to give a decent response to that question, either in a conversation or in a round-the-table beauty parade. In this episode, we explore this crucial business skill and we start way back in the 19th century. I'm Andrew Thorpe. Welcome to Leaning Forward. One of my favourite business books is To Sell is Human by Dan Pink. It's got some wonderful ideas about how to sell without it feeling like selling. He shares a great story about an American industrialist called Elisha Otis, who did something quite daring in the autumn of 1853. This was a time when buildings were getting taller and taller, and he found a way to make elevators, that's lifts if you're in the UK, safer for their users. Up to that point, they relied on a rather crude system, whereby a thick cable would pull the elevator up and down, but if for any reason the cable snapped, disaster. And Otis's innovation was an, a wagon safety brake, which would automatically deploy should the rope ever snap. He wanted to show off his new invention to a rather sceptical public, and he hired some space in a big convention centre in New York City. Um, He constructed a a platform, a kind of mocked-up elevator, which was open at the front, um, and a shaft within which um, it could move up and down. So one afternoon he did his um, roll-up, roll-up thing, um, and and soon a a crowd uh, of onlookers had gathered for a demonstration. He got on the platform and told his assistant to hoist the elevator to its maximum height of three stories. And then as he stood and looked down at the crowd, he grabbed an axe and dramatically cut the rope that was holding the elevator in midair. There were shrieks from the onlookers and the platform fell. But almost immediately, his safety device kicked in and stopped the elevator's um, descent. And at that point, he confidently announced, all is safe. Now, you might recognise the name from the elevators that you've been in. Elisha went on to found the Otis Elevator Company. But Dan Pink also points out that this was possibly the world's first elevator pitch. It's a a strange term in a way, and, and it originates from a scenario which hardly ever happens in reality. Um, So suppose you get into an elevator on, say, the eighth floor, um, and someone asks you what you do. Um, If you can deliver your answer by the time the lift has got to the lobby, that's your pitch. But of course, people who don't know each other don't really like talking in lifts, um, and they're much more likely to look at the floor numbers on the wall or, or their phone. 
But the pitch is one of the key elements of your core story. Um, and, and people don't find it easy. I think it's partly because um, you feel under pressure to come up with something um, impressive and to say it in a very compressed time frame. And one approach is to have a standard stock response, which you can reliably deliver any time, any place. But the only problem there is that this might sound canned. In other words, it lacks spontaneity, it lacks freshness, and you get so used to reeling it off that you don't even hear the words you're saying. You get a bit bored saying the same line over and over again, and maybe even complacent, and your audience may well pick this up. But let's make a, a distinction between two scenarios here. There's the performed pitch, where you're invited to introduce yourself, like a, a round-the-table situation. And then there's an informal conversation where the trigger might be, um, so what do you do then? I'm going to focus more on the first one in this podcast, because that's the one that causes people most anxiety, and it's heard by more people, and so perhaps there's more advantage in doing it well. In the conversational version, you may well use some of the same material, but it would be packaged and delivered in a different style. With the performed version, it's important to remember that your goal isn't to pack everything about you and your work into 60 seconds. It's simply to trigger a desire in your audience to want to know more. And that means leaving a lot out. But if you're too coy and clever, you, you might just annoy people. Um, you know, they think, oh, for God's sake, just tell me what you do. And they probably won't want to seek you out afterwards. But if what you say and how you say it is intriguing and makes them warm to you, then you're well on the way. Let's suppose that you say your name, perhaps the name of your company, your type of work, and maybe where you operate. Um, so, for example, uh, hi, my name is Jeff. I'm from XYZ Accountants in Manchester. It gets across some potentially useful information, but it's not earth shattering. It's a kind of name, rank and serial number answer. And occasionally that's all you will be asked to do um, in just a few seconds. But usually you're given a platform to do a little more than that. And this is where you can get a bit creative. If I think about how I introduce myself, I have to admit that it changes regularly. But in a way, I prefer that, if only for the simple reason that I would get bored saying the same thing all the time. Here's a short version for those occasions when I'm given maybe only 20 seconds. Hi, I'm Andrew Thorpe. When you tell a great story about your business. It has an impact on people. It does more than inform, it inspires. And I call this verbal PR. And who knows, I might be able to sprinkle a little bit of magic dust onto your message. Here's a slightly longer version of that same message. Hi, I'm Andrew Thorpe. Given 
that we've had to entertain ourselves at home during lockdown. That big rectangle um, in our living room is getting a lot of attention. Yes, the TV. Maybe you've got hooked on the crown um, or the surprise hit of the lockdown, Queen's Gambit. I mean, who knew chess could be so exciting? And the challenge for all these shows is the same one that you and I face right now, and that's how to get people to pay attention to what we're saying, to tune in when there are so many other options out there, and to do all that through a screen. And the answer is that you need a really good story and the skill to tell it well in different situations. And I call this verbal PR. So let's see, shall we, if if we can sprinkle a little bit of magic dust onto your message. But what about someone like um, an executive business coach? See if this works for um, a one minute pitch. I'm one of those people who left the corporate world and reinvented themselves. I remember sitting in a meeting one day watching an external consultant giving our chief executive the kind of advice that I would give him, but I knew he wouldn't listen to me because I was in-house. I was a subordinate. And my boss was lapping up all this wisdom, and it struck me that I'd rather be the person with the clicker and the slides than someone with no influence sitting around the table. It took me a while to find the courage, but eventually I left and I'm now that consultant. And it's so wonderful to have the freedom to observe, to advise and influence business leaders to make them or help them make better decisions. My name's John, and I'm happy to say that that change of direction was the best decision that I ever made. The truth is there are any number of ways of filling that minute. But you need some good content. Think about it like um, the TV show MasterChef, where you're given some really nice ingredients and you've got to use your skill and imagination to put them together and create a wonderful dish. When it comes to ingredients, I find that I have a stock of words or phrases that I draw upon regularly to describe my work. And I talk about verbal PR. So it sounds like public relations, you know, our, our perception of what PR means and presumably connected with marketing. But the verbal kind. Applied storytelling. We're familiar with storytelling, but applied. What does that mean? Maybe it suggests that storytelling has a purpose. Graduate from inform to inspire. So we're familiar with presentations that are heavy on facts, but leave us cold, unmoved and frankly bored. Inspiring, that sounds a lot better. Selling without it feeling like selling. Now, this sounds appealing, especially to people who trained as an expert, but now have to bring in business. It's not really what they signed up for in the first place. Sprinkle magic dust on your message. Now, who wouldn't want that? A podcast called Leaning Forward. Hmm, It's an interesting name. That's what I'd like people to do when I speak about my product or service. 
a professional reinvention. So this is my own backstory, moving from a lifetime in sport to communication skills and storytelling. The multi-story man. So does he build car parks? No, he tells stories and has lots of them, although his kids say that they've heard them all before. Interestingly, which one you start with might be determined by a trigger of some kind. If it's a performed pitch where you're next in line to make your introduction, that trigger could be something that someone said before you. These phrases tend to work well um, for me because they, they get the message across, but in an unusual way. And I'd suggest that you avoid cliches, generalisms and abstract descriptions of a service. So if you find yourself using phrases like um, full service provider or client focused or customer centric, it's time to give yourself a good talking to and say something more um, arresting. I'd advise you to mine your work for little nuggets that might make it sound more interesting to people. Anything unusual that helps you grab attention and stand out and make people appreciate you more. So maybe things like your name. If you have an unusual name, it's a talking point. Um, if you have a, a, a moniker or a, a little catchphrase or nickname, um, I have a friend who calls himself the annoying marketeer because he asks so many questions, but it's in a good cause because it ensures that he understands the client's needs and they're glad of it in the end. Your product. So if it's a thing, does it have unique properties and how were they developed? Your people. Is there something unusual about the way that you recruit and train your employees? Your own backstory. Um, maybe it's one of reinvention or um, was it shaped by a defining event in some way? I love the way Seth Godin, the American marketing guru, defines the word remarkable in his book Purple Cow, uh, which is really all about standing out. And it means literally something worth talking about or remarking about. So you have to ask yourself, is what I'm saying worthy of people's attention. One way of keeping things fresh with your introduction is to have a mixture of um, maybe some standard material, um, a standard line that you would often say, and some variable content. So you might start in any number of ways and then arrive at the core message. That variable opening might be a reference to something in the news that day, or a line someone said earlier, or a, an experience that you had that morning. So if you were a coach, you might reference um, the evergreen cargo vessel, which until recently was blocking the Suez Canal. It created a lot of headlines, and you could start with that and then link to your work with a simple bridging phrase, um, and it's not the only thing that's blocked. <laughs> you know, you, you help clients remove blockages like self-limiting beliefs. Or maybe if you're a fitness instructor or a nutritionist, and um, the blockage might refer to arteries. Because what is the Suez Canal apart from an artery? 
um, and arteries need to be clear um, and flowing freely. Having a variable opening is attention grabbing and keeps things uh, fresh, fresh for you as much as anything else. It just requires you to A, have your eyes and ears open and B, make the linkage between what you see and the work you do. Given the variable length of time that you might have to introduce yourself, you, you also have to be willing to flex. And this comes down to practice and the confidence that comes from practice and having a number of words and phrases that you can reliably stitch together into a coherent pitch. When you're one of a number of businesses doing the round the table beauty parade, it's fine to stand out. If your pitch is miles better than the others, so be it. It's up to them to raise their game. But if you're part of a team and the client has asked each of you to do a brief introduction, you don't want to show off too much. You'll just make your colleagues look bad. In this situation, you've got less license to be creative. Just be clear, concise and professional in explaining your role. There's no Oscar winning performance needed here. Also, the situations I've described here are really a platform where you're invited to perform in some way. It's a, a public speaking scenario, even though it may only last a minute or so. But you'll also be introducing yourself in less formal circumstances, um, like a casual conversation at a, an event or maybe over dinner. And in these situations, launching into a beautifully crafted performance would sound a bit odd. You've got to be more natural, more conversational at these times. And it might be that you'll use some of the words and phrases that feature in your more performy version, but they shouldn't sound performed. It will be um, a bit rougher around the edges, even though you might be conveying the same message. It might involve the other person asking you questions. So it becomes a dialogue and not a monologue. The point about the elevator pitch is that you can be creative and deliver it in all manner of ways. It's got to position you correctly if they think you're a lawyer, when you're actually a quantity surveyor, then something's gone wrong. But if you can inject a little bit of humour or at least raise a wry smile in people because you describe something in an unusual or creative way, something they recognise, you will stand out. It just takes a bit of practice, but you've got the opportunity to do just that, to test drive different versions every time you go networking. That's all for now from Leaning Forward. I hope you've gained something valuable from this episode on the elevator pitch, and please do join us again soon.